This is Saster's Founders Favorite Series, where you can hear some of the best of the best from Saster speakers. This is where the cloud meets. As the number one rated sales tax solution, trusted by more than 20,000 e-commerce professionals, TaxJar knows sales tax. To ensure accurate sales tax compliance amid the latest software taxability trends, visit taxjar.com forward slash saster to automate sales tax for your SaaS business. Up today, Saster CEO Jason Lemkin and Gainsight CEO Nick Maida. Nick and I chatted. We came to the same idea of doing this last week, like last Thursday, and the world just changes every hour. So even the agenda has changed in some ways. And I want to talk, and, and so I want to use Gainsight as a case study, talk about what Gainsight's seen, um, and then go back and tell you what we learned um, back in the day as SaaS CEOs. And um, before we do that, Nick, for folks, um, and because there, there'll probably be a thousand people join this and probably, we'll probably slice some of it into our podcast and a hundred thousand folks will listen to it. So give everyone that if they don't know Gainsight, give us a sense of what you guys do today, how many employees. Sure, totally. Yeah. So we're, we're a, a late stage SaaS company, uh, about 700 employees. And my name is Nick Maida, CEO of Gainsight. And uh, my video is not on due to some technical issues on the, on the Zoom side, but most people would say I have a face for radio anyway. So I think this is uh, very appropriate <laughs> for, uh, for the medium. So we, uh, um, so Gainsight, some of you probably know, we're, we're all about helping companies improve their ret customer retention rates and improve the expansion that they get from existing customers and overall drive more lifetime value for customers through this process called customer success. Um, and customer success, I think pretty much everyone I call knows is about not just waiting for the end kind of renewal retention of a customer, but throughout that whole life cycle, making sure they're adopting your product, getting value, and then are more likely to renew and expand. And uh, we kind of build a whole community around customer success and then we build software that helps um, SaaS companies from very small ones to the biggest publicly traded ones scale customer success across all their customers and be more proactive. And so because of that, we're in the center of recurring revenue, probably as much as any company out there. And we see sort of what people are doing to keep customers. And we'll, we'll talk a lot more about that. We ourselves are about a 700 employee company, as Jason said, kind of, you know, sort of later stage of being private. Um, but of course, we think about these things too. So I'll share perspective today, not just from uh, kind of an external third party looking at the market, but honestly, just what we're thinking about in our own business. All right, I want to, let's, let's go over, I did, because Nick, I want to tell me what you're seeing against Gainsight and just from your customer community, right? Because it's, it's so on point. I did three Twitter surveys over the last couple of days. Which um, are highly scientific, but highly scientific surveys. I'm they're sure. not scientific, yeah. but I think there's enough scale given our followers that I think they're, help me pronounce it, illustrative, I think, if not scientific. Yeah, right? I agree. Uh, this one I actually think might be the most scientific as someone who didn't excel at stats. And this is like changing day to day, but how much are you seeing deals slow down? And we, we, had a, we have a lot of folks out there that are pretty confident that there's been no slowdown, 42%. <laughs> uh, and 50, 58% that are seeing it. Um, I'll share a, a couple anecdotes in a second, but how are you coaching the revenue teams at Gainsight today and what are you seeing in your customer base? Yeah, well, I think one thing, which I think goes back to 2008 that we all have to watch out for is that there's a sort of knock-on effect and kind of second-order effects that happen. And so sometimes you don't see something even though it's happening upstream from you and it's coming to hit you kind of like you don't see that that 
kind of tsunami on the other side of the world that created a wave that's eventually going to hit you. And I do think that just being real with people, that's what's happening right now. If you're not seeing it, it's just because it hasn't hit your part of the business yet. Um, So just to make it really practical, if you're a restaurant right now, you clearly are seeing it. There's no doubt. I'm really empathizing with restaurants and I hope everyone is doing what they can to buy gift certificates from restaurants and support them, right? The restaurants are affected. If you're selling technology to restaurants, you probably see it firsthand. I have a few friends who uh, run companies that sell to restaurants and was talking to one a few minutes ago and they pivoted their entire company to trying to help the restaurants because right now they can't buy anything, right? So, but if you sell to companies who sell to restaurants, you're going to see it a little bit. And if you sell to companies who sell to companies who sell to restaurants, right? So where are you in the ecosystem? How far away or removed are you from airlines, hospitality, restaurants, retail, the front lines, right? And so if you are on the front lines, you already see it. If you're one degree from the front lines, you're probably hearing about it a little bit. If you're a few degrees, there's a dangerous thing where you may not be seeing it but it's going to hit you. Now, the reality is your business may be diversified. So maybe your customers are also telcos who may benefit from this because a lot of people are going to upgrade their internet, right? Or healthcare, which although it's very crazy right now, the amount of spending in healthcare is going to be massive. So what I would do if I were a CEO is analyze, well, I am a CEO, so I'm doing this myself, analyze my business and say, okay, how much of my business in parts of the economy that are going to be massively affected by affected a little bit less? But I think the bottom line of all of this is everyone's going to be affected, particularly in new sales. And we'll talk about retention as well. But your question here is about deals. I think every business is going to be affected. And whether that's a 20% slowdown or 50% slowdown, or God forbid you sell into the frontline industries, a 90% slowdown, everyone is going to be affected. And you're kind of kidding yourself if you're not. Um, a, uh, a friend of mine, the CEO of a SaaS company that's also kind of late stage like Insight, I don't, I don't want to share his name because I don't think he wanted to share the, the details himself, but he sent around a survey to a few dozen CEOs and asked the same question and you know, found very similar results. Jason, if you averaged it out, it was probably anywhere from a 33 to 50% slowdown. Um, but uh, we're not talking 5%. We're not talking 10%. It's more significant than that. It's important for us to be honest with people about that, I think. Yeah, I think if, any, if folks aren't seeing it, I, my, my experience is more anecdotal from the last week. Um, There's one... Great CEO, I love him that I'm working with. And last week, he's like, I think I'm going to increase my hiring, <laughs> which we can chat about. Uh, and then yesterday, he forwarded me an email from a larger deal saying, we have a COVID-9 deal freeze. Uh, yep. And so that's sort of what you would describe, I guess, as a second order effect, right? It didn't, didn't feel that in the front line. And then, bam, got hit literally yesterday. As one principle I was going to share is I, I think one thing that's reasonable for you to think about as a CEO, founder, executive is, Whatever you're doing, everyone else is doing or more. So if you have your spreadsheet open of your budget and you're like, what can we cut? What can we slow down? Where do we stop hiring? Everyone else is doing the same thing, right? So that's, and it's very, this is going back to the 08 crisis where unfortunately in 2008, what happened was every bank was looking at their assets and saying, whoa, we're going to run out of money like really quickly. We better sell everything, right? And so every bank was selling everything, but they didn't fully realize that every other bank was selling everything. And we'll talk more about, you know, kind of how we bottomed out out of that. But it's, you have to assume that other people are doing it. You don't want to panic because I do think we'll bottom out, but I think uh, you want to be prudent that other people are going through the same thing. So let's tie that because I want to dig in, but let's tie that to the next slide, which is, I think, something everybody's working on. Um, you know, it's just crazy to think that we talk about this even three weeks ago. I couldn't imagine you and I be chatting about this, but how much have you lowered your forecast for 2020? 
I couldn't bear to go more than 40% on this for like your restaurant example. <laughs> I just couldn't do it on Twitter. But it, <laughs> 20% haven't changed, um, which may be appropriate, right? If you, if you sell into certain industries, maybe today is not the right time to totally reforecast. Um, and 80% have begun some level of reforecasting. What's your general learning here? And, and like, how do you think about this with a sales team and a customer success team? Like, what do you think? What do you tell? Yeah, your great. So I think on the sales side, it's definitely a legitimate conversation to be starting. I think it's hard to put a number on it. I think probably you might be in the same boat that even we are and almost anyone else is, which is, you know, you're going to have to lower it. Um, but you don't know how much because you don't know what the impact is going to be and how long it's going to last. All these variables are big unknowns. So I do think that you, what, what I would recommend is scenario planning. So if sales are down by 10%, 20%, 30%, 50%, what are the different knock-on impacts? And we've done that modeling for our business. I think a lot of smart founders and CEOs are modeling lots of scenarios. Interestingly enough, I think very short-term deals in pipeline, it's possible, unless you sell into the directly affected industries, that your forecast looks very similar. Like, you know, our forecast for our Q1, which ends in April, looks quite similar to where we were a few weeks ago. But I think that's a bit of a lag effect, right? So you kind of want to look three months out, six months out. I think the visibility is pretty low now. So I think to me, for new sales, planning for multiple scenarios, and then also appreciating a, a core principle I think happens in downturns and anxiety, which is anytime you're in a period of uncertainty long-term as human beings individually, but also as companies, I think we freeze like a lot of new decisions, right? So I think all of us can probably appreciate this. If somebody was like, hey, you want to buy a new car right now as individuals? You're like, I don't know. Like, like I'm just trying to get through the next few weeks, right? So I, I think most people would be unlikely to buy a new car now. Um, but, you know, are you going to maintain your car? Yeah, you know, you have to probably still drive it around a little bit. You, you, know, you might need, even need to get it washed or whatever. And so the similar analogy, I think, applies for software as a service, which is new net new logo deals are going to be the hardest, particularly ones that are longer sales cycle complex. I think your existing customers, and we can talk a lot more about this, retaining them obviously um, is going to be critical. And I think there, there's a tendency to status quo. The customers don't want to break things that are working. Um, and there's an opportunity on the margin to expand them a little bit because uh, one thing customers are looking to do is reduce spend. And if they can consolidate vendors because they use three different vendors, maybe you can be on the sort of uh, good side of that equation by becoming the consolidator so I believe that your retention forecast will be hit because some of your customers will go out of business and some will hit budget doubles, but your sales forecast will probably be hit significantly more than retention. It is the, the car wash versus buying new cars, a great analogy. What do you think, um, maybe it's early uh, because Gainsight's got pretty big customers now, but what, do you, what are you coaching the sales reps to do with their time as sales cycles might lengthen for new logos? How can us versus a CS professional, what should a, if, it, if, if they're engaged with the new logo, but this is not a good week to close new logos, is it? Um, from, yeah, know, exactly. If they're in a pipe, they might actually close on time, right? Because they've allocated the budget. But what do you, are you do you change your, 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 your guidance to the sales team in terms of how to approach sales in the coming weeks and months? Yeah, I, I, think, I, so I, I think you change guidance. If you had a transactional business, I think you'd definitely change your guidance. Uh, for better or for worse, Gainsight is definitely more of an enterprise-type sales cycle, uh, so, which you know, requires patience, and that means that things take longer no matter what. Um, one thing I will tell you, and this is purely my data, but I think even this webinar uh, is exhibit of this, people aren't eager to spend new money right now on new things, but they're open to spending time. 
And a key in sales isn't just getting people's money, but it's getting people's time. So right before this, we just did our, a Zoom version of a big in-person kind of executive event we were going to do. Uh, a few, like in, it was going to be in Napa, and now it's on Zoom. And we did it this morning, and like almost everyone showed up. And they were super engaged because the reality is, like all of you, we're all at home. Honestly, we're looking for distractions from like the, the crazy stuff that's happening in the outside world. And so I believe your customers are actually willing to spend time and almost eager for a respite. So it's time if I was in sales or CS to spend time with customers, not on the closing, because sometimes that's not appropriate, but on the evangelism, on the education, on more demos and discovery and getting them ready so that when we get out of this downturn, downturn which, is a, which is a when, not an if, just be really clear, we'll get through this eventually, right? And get them ready. So they're going to they're gonna be ready with their business case their justification to their boss and you're going to see a big uptick in sales if you do it right. Yeah. I do think that, um, more discovery, it's a quiet, super, superpower, super activity today, right? Your, your customers want information from you. They want to learn best practices and customers, whoever you are, they want to learn more best practices. Everyone today has time to do that, right? Your customers do, um, whether they're going to deploy budget tomorrow. Um, do you think an idea I'm thinking about, and I didn't think about it in 08 or 09 because I, Customer success was so nascent back then, right? As a discipline, at least. But have you, I've been thinking a lot lately is how do you turn a little bit of your sales force into a customer success army? Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing, it's interesting. Again, this is real time. Like everything I'm sharing is things that we were talking about like 20 minutes ago or an hour ago, because that's how life works in this type of situation. One thing I talked about last night with our team is we all, as business leaders, and I, I believe actually, even in the world more globally, need to learn to flex our resources right now. So like, let's use the analogy in the real world, right? Uh, right now, wouldn't it be great if the people that are working in restaurants and bars that don't really have as many jobs now could all go work in grocery stores? Like, that would be amazing, right? Because the grocery stores need tons of people and the restaurants and bars, unfortunately, don't need any. And so we need flex in the economy. You need flex in your company. So at Gainsight, right, we have an amazing team that does in-person events. And Jason, you do as well, right? There's not much to do on that front right now. So how do those people help in virtual events or somewhere else? And I think the same thing, going back to your point, is how can salespeople help in customer success? Because everyone's heard me talk about customer success is a company-wide thing. Sales can help a lot. They have relationships. And to me, sales and CS doing planning right now on your big accounts, particularly, and how you're going to kind of really embrace them and do even more calls than you normally would. That is the right thing to do. So going, a lot of people talk about not just how many accounts do you touch, but how deep do you go in those accounts? How many contacts do you have? Are you checking in with the lower level people and the mid-level people, not just the senior people? If you're a salesperson, now is the time to go deep in your accounts for sure. Yeah, I think I'm trying to think of this is all real time for, for, for all of us, right? The rate of change is so fast. I'm trying to think of a metric or a KPI where there's a lot of companies that can be fairly large, but they're more sales heavy than CS heavy, right? We've talked about this for years. Folks need more CS, less sales. Yeah. <laughs> percentage of your army. We're, we're both the choir here, right? But what I'm thinking totally. about is what sort of incentives and structures if you're sales heavy, how can you draft them into your CS team this week? How do you evolve quotas and KPIs? How do you evolve part of your sales team around driving up retention NPS rather than bookings? These are like complicated questions, but I think worth wrestling with, especially for folks that are light on CS teams. Yeah, I think it's a great point. And I think, you know, for a lot of companies, what I see is 
they'll introduce an incentive for sales, particularly on the larger renewals, to give them some extra kind of spiff compensation, right? Um, And I think that's an opportunity to do that. By the way, one other thing that happens during a downturn is people look at the core sales comp plan because, you know, we all have to understand that it's going to be harder to sell. So how do we redirect those resources? So you may even eventually revise the core comp plan. But if you haven't done that before, it's actually very complicated to revise the core plan and make people feel good. So a SPIF is kind of an incentive on top of the core plan to help people kind of redirect their activities. And so there's an opportunity to have a SPIF around renewals, uh, particularly for your focused accounts, like maybe pick a list of the 20 renewals that you could really use sales as help and give a SPIF that says, okay, for every dollar of renewal, we're going to pay this much to the sales rep in addition to whatever the CSM is getting. It's a good insight, you know, um, that that's actually an area you have much better, at least more experience than I do. You know, you, you really, if you have to reforecast for the sales team, you really, I mean, these are, these are crazy times. We so really would like to do it once a year, right? Max, it's so much, so much to yeah. right? So if you can defer that in the, if you have, if you can defer that with SPIFs or short-term incentives while you give yourself a little time to do that in an ideal world, that would be better than reforecasting tomorrow if you're not able to do it. That's right. And I think that's one kind of tying back to the whole concept of reforecasting. I think we all have to be mindful that if we had forecasted on Friday versus Thursday versus Monday versus Tuesday, we might have different answers. So we need a little bit of time to calm down before we make a judgment on what the next six to nine months are going to be like. Um, That doesn't mean we don't need to be prudent and particularly prudent on spending, but to call a number right now is really challenging. Yeah, I don't know what the right amount of time is, but I can tell you what I've told folks is, yeah, you got to be prudent. Um, if your business is not in free fall, maybe we'll chat about it at the end. I personally, you and I are both pretty quick and you have, you've managed much bigger organizations than I have now, but I, I even need two weeks from today to come to some conclusions, right? Uh, yeah. I the other two weeks, and I don't know how you felt, but I, I moved into wartime mode in about six seconds when I realized things had changed about two weeks ago. And I can, I'm very agile, but I need two more weeks to, from a data-driven process to be analytical about some of this. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that these decisions are, take a little bit of contemplation. And we'll talk about wartime as mode, mode as well. I do think that there's an element of being really, really uh, aware of being able to deal with just the information coming at you at all times. Cause well, as we sit here now, Jason, I haven't checked the stock market for like two hours. So I don't know if it's down 5,000 points or up 3000 points or whatever. Right. And so you have this level where you have to get comfortable with change being so rapid and not rattling you short term. It's a hard thing for CEOs and founders to do, but it's what the world needs from you right now. Yeah. What's your top, improving communication hack that you're thinking about right now? How do you communicate better with the team without overwhelming, overwhelming them? What's the number one thing you've learned the last week or two? Yeah. I mean, I'd say the, the biggest thing is that uh, having some connectivity, uh, say, especially if you used to be in an office, which a lot of people were, right? We, we ourselves were a mix of a lot of people working from home and some small number of offices, but now everyone's at home. And so what we started is a 7.45 a.m. Pacific uh, Zoom call every day that is a pure connection call. Every day there's a different kind of thing. One day it was bring your pet to Zoom. One day it was um, go for a walk together where we had our phones and walking. And then this morning was actually using the Zoom drawing features to do like art together. Now that all sounds pretty silly, but the reality is you got to bring your team some peace and joy during the day so that they can then talk up, think about their customers and their sales. Because otherwise, honestly, it's pretty hard for people to think about anything. So I think bringing your team some sense of connection and joy is, is very important. So you're doing a daily 
across companies stand up for 700 first day yeah. and not trying yeah. to focus on the drama of the hour, focus on no. people, right? That's right. It's a good idea. I, I, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't done a stand up since it was scrum style in quite a few years and we're bringing it back next week. There you go. Hasn't changed too much. It's the easiest hack that I can think of is for everyone to do a stand up every day. Totally. Um, but we can dig on that more different. This one, this next one for folks, I almost understood it, but it's so interesting. I want you to explain it. Uh, yesterday, I think we're seeing a massive uptick in SaaS adoption across your customers. Let's talk about working from home. Are you getting a, uh, a Zoom Amazon-esque boost from uh, a gain site from folks working from home? What is, de decrypt this interesting data for me. Yeah, so this, just so you understand the context of this, Gainsight has kind of uh, several different products. One of them is our customer success platform. Another one is all about measuring how people are using products, basically analyzing where they're clicking, how often they're using it, and then doing in-app engagements to drive more product adoption. Right? And they, those two products work together really well. That second product is called Gainsight PX. And because of that, we're sitting in kind of the, the JavaScript layer of hundreds of SaaS applications. And we were just looking at the data yesterday and we're like, oh my gosh, usage is exploding across our customers in a way that it hadn't in the last few months. So there's definitely like a significant uptick for some reason. We certainly don't know why um, because we're just seeing the data, but it seems kind of intuitively obvious that what's happening is that uh, this, whatever is happening with COVID is driving people to use SaaS more. You can speculate, like I think all of us have done more Zoom calls than we ever have in our lives, right? So that's, I'm sure Zoom servers are, are running hot right now. But I think that's true for a lot of applications. What's that? Zoom's like 5X if you look at some of the data. That's insane. It's amazing. And if you look at a lot of other applications, I think there's a lot of scenarios where maybe more people are using the data because they can't, your application, because they can't go into the hallway and ask you what the data was. They're actually looking it up themselves, right? I'll be, I'll be honest, I'm using like Salesforce more than I ever did before, right? Um, because... I can certainly call up our head of revenue operations and ask what's going on with whatever. But, um, you know, honestly, that's more friction before I might've been able to walk down the hall. Now I'm, I'm doing it myself. So I do think that SaaS companies, and I'd be interested to see if other people are seeing this, are getting going to get an uptick in usage. Now, most people don't monetize on usage, right? Most people are monetizing on seats and things like that, but it does mean that you're more important than ever before. So I do think this is a small kind of glimmer of hope amid some other gloomy news that we have here. Yeah, so, but, but, uh, but the Gainsight PX, the product experience product, has quite a few customers. So this 50% is across yeah. all the applications. It's not just the... Yeah, the, it's an average, yeah. Event, yeah. Right, it's across all the applications. And That's the, right, it wasn't, a couple it wasn't a couple customers. It was very consistent, which is really surprising. Yeah, sometimes CEOs actually don't know. In fact, you might not have known this until Ryan pointed this out, right, on the slide. I'm not saying you don't check all your dashboards, but you have a big company to run. If you don't know yeah, this, you're no. probably not pushing it to your customers either, are you? Yeah, right, right. No, actually, I mean, this literally looked, came up last night and we're like, we should, talk, we should talk about this. And I think this is something that everyone else should know about their application as well as their customers' applications if, if you're in the ecosystem. Um, so there's a lot of data that you have or could have right now with very simple instrumentation that would tell you a lot more about what's happening in your business. And going back to what Jason said earlier, this situation is changing so fast that being real time right now is more important than ever. Yeah, and for what it's worth, I'm seeing we, can some this, we can tie this into the past in a minute, but my experience, our experience is not 100% telling for the present, but 
I strongly suspect that if you're seeing 50% increase in your customers, monthly, act, daily, hourly users, if you, if you have this, you may not be able to tomorrow get a whole bunch more seats, right? Not only because you may not be have utility pricing, but also because this may not be the right time to ask for more money from every customer. Um, so I think this might be, I, we, there's so much change. This, this might be sort of a new secondary North Star metric, which is activity in your application. If it's going down uh, unexpectedly, that's a flag. That may be a retention flag. Far, I mean, we've talked about this in customer success in the early days of Gainsight when it's red, green, yellow, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, we've moved beyond that, but in some ways it all boils down to that. And maybe, maybe if you're seeing this with Gainsight PX or otherwise, if, if usage is up, that's a good sign for long-term retention. Um, and reach out and see how you can do more. How can you help them even more if they're using yeah. it, right? Today, reach out and see how, what, can you, what, what can you do for free just to help them do more with your product. Really well said. Any other, and I want to talk about, um, I want to get to your five positive things and I want to do one summary, but any other learnings you had that, that you, that beyond these from back in the day that can help, help everyone listening? Yeah, I think one, one other thing just to kind of like orient, because I've been reading the chat and I think there's some great questions on there. And one general kind of theme is, hey, this is different from OA, which it totally is, right? Like somebody asked me a few weeks ago, have you ever been through this before? And I'm like, you mean a global pandemic? No, it's my first. I, I was pretty young during the Spanish flu, right? Yeah. But like, so we are, we are all in the first time doing this. So I'm not, we're not, you know, claiming to know what's going to happen. But I think one thing you may not know if you weren't like working during 08 is it had the potential to be devastating. And if you want to like get a little bit of a pick me up, read On the Brink by Hank Paulson, which is about how the Treasury Department stepped in and Hank Paulson specifically and basically like begged Congress to uh, save the economy. And literally, if they hadn't done that, the depression would have been worse than the 1920s. It would have and and basically people had no faith in the financial system, which is a different kind of problem. So uh, people don't fully understand how bad 08 was. This is different and very bad, but 08 was not good. And I think the fact that people got through it is encouraging. I think the other thing is in 08, I do think that there wasn't a clear thing about how you would ever bounce back because it was a loss of confidence. In this world, there is a clear thing of how we bounce back in that it is a you know, virus and sort of defeatable, et cetera. It's just unclear how long that'll take, um, but there's a little bit more belief in a light at the end of the tunnel. I'll tell you at, in 08, at the worst times, most people had no idea if there was any light at the end of the tunnel or like whether democracy would survive, things like that. It was very bad. Um, so if you're young and you haven't been through that, you're, you're lucky in some ways, but you might be missing out on how bad it was in 08. No, I think, um, yeah, it's not the same, especially the rapidity and, and the externalities. But uh, for folks like thinking, I mean, I will tell you my own version of that. I mean, it was literally, we've already injected $1.5 trillion into the, into the banking system in a day, right? That took us a year to do last time and endless drama, right? But it already happened. I'll tell you my person, if you want to know how bad it was last time, as the world was, I mean, literally, first of all, to Nick's point, no one was sure we would ever recover, like literally ever recover. There was, in many cases, no hope because there was no reason. I got a call. I was actually at the last event <laughs> that I did in that cycle. I was at an event, uh, I think it was in Half Moon Bay, and, and I'm having a coffee on a beautiful day, and I get a call from my banker at Citibank, who I used through both my startups, right? So I knew him very well, and I had a great relationship. He's like, I'm not allowed to call you, Jason. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, but it's 11 something, and you need to get your money out of Citibank by the wiring deadline. 
And I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, Citibank will fail this evening. And I said, Greg, I have 90 minutes. <laughs> Where do I put it? <laughs> and he said, put it anywhere but Citibank. And what wow. do you do? And I, I called my VCs. They said, we have no idea. And I mean, that was a moment where, I mean, as, this is crazy today too, but that was the literally the world ending, right? That Citibank, the largest bank, I had, I had 90 minutes to get my money out. And I don't mean to be Pollyanna, and today is insane, right? I mean, this world is insane today. But if we find a way to bounce back in 60 days or 90 days or whatever it is, it's, it's not the same set of structural failures that we went through. And even not to be Pollyanna, but even going to that, looking at the slide, we still grew 12%. <laughs> yeah. It was really bad back then. The way, way people today just think, you're right, people don't understand how bad. And maybe we'll get there, but people don't understand how truly bad that is when your money is going to disappear at the number one largest you know, U.S. bank. I mean, that's right. uh, almost uh, impossible to understand. What do you do as CEO? Like, I don't know. <laughs> So yes, I think folks that are critical that some of these lessons don't hold today, I think those are fair points. But I also suggest like for folks out here, this is a great webinar. Do lunch and learns with folks that are around before. Like you don't need to hear all these Citibank stories and these horrible stories. But we, we, the folks that have done it before, we do know how to go into wartime mode. And it is different, but we can, we can benefit from some of this confidence in this 12% number on this slide. And I don't mean to be Pollyanna, but I think it would have to... For your average company selling into the right industries, I think it would have to be even worse for us not to ultimately, not to ultimately at least see the kind of performance on this slide. And uh, so I kind of summarize it on this and I wanna, I wanna get to your five positive things, Nick, and make sure we, we don't run out of time. But I was thinking, I did this on Twitter, just cause so many folks have not been through this before, right? Here was my summary for everything and maybe you could give your version of advice. But I think this is my idea. Roughly, if your growth rate was pretty good and your burn rate wasn't too high two weeks ago, you will adjust and find a way. We have, you have to reforecast, right? You need to do a little bit this week and solidify it in two weeks. But if, they were, if your growth was 100% last week, maybe it's some verticals aside, maybe it's 50%, maybe it's 40%. And you're, but if your burn was not out of control, you'll adjust. If either of these were problematic two weeks ago, if your burn was too high and your growth was problematic, you're in trouble and you need to figure it out now. This was kind of my rough summary. Any feedback on that in terms of like the two camps? No, I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. The, mar the companies that were on the bubble are going to be, it's going to be more challenging, but the ones that were all already over the line of sort of viability, um, it's just about adjusting a little bit. So. Yep. All right. Okay. So what, um, and I don't know how much time you have, Nick, but what were your five, like, what, talk to us, you put this together, five positive things. Because I cut straight to the data sometimes in the experience. What are the five things? You're better at this than me, much better. What are the five positive things that SaaS CEOs should do for their team uh, to get us through this? Well, thanks for, thanks for saying that. Yeah, I think that, uh, and first of all, just tying it to what we talked about, I think, you know, everyone heard this is different. This is an, every time it's a new challenge, but, you know, there's some positives that we'll be able to get through. And some businesses, I think, have an opportunity here. On the business side, I think, you know, Clearly, focus on retention, focus on upsell. I think we get it. In fact, I just published a blog post on that. I'll put it in the chat window. On the kind of team side, I do think this is where leaders are identified, right? Like this is where people figure out who the real leaders are is in times of crisis. We can all think of our favorite like political global leader back in you know, the 1940s, whether it's an FDR, Winston Churchill, anyone else. We remember those people because they stood up during the tough times. And I think it's important for us, for our teams, 
to really find that way to lead through this. So I wrote this blog post about my experience and honestly just remembering another tough time with 9-11 and how tough it was back then and kind of how, how we get through things together. And the five things very quickly were kind of gratitude, really just you kind of every day finding ways to thank people, making sure your team knows that you're still kind of working hard and, and kind of the show doesn't stop as number two. Um, so honestly, I have a packed calendar day, tons of customer calls. If I were your leader, I would share. Right. What's that? You shared that on Twitter or something. It was insane. Your calendar was completely full. Yeah, right. And honestly, I'm, I'm not slowing down. And I don't, I hope that you aren't either. And tell your teams you're not slowing down. You're there to make the business. Number three, um, you know, definitely take ideas. Like I'm, list, I'm seeing the chat, learning lots of things too. We all need to work together to learn together. Number four is, you know, focus on your existing customers. Most self-serving thing ever, because that's what I do, but it's also true. Uh, Jason showed it in the data. And then number five is bring a little joy to balance out the negativity. I think that there's a lot of negativity right now. And whatever you can do to, to bring out some joy for your team, whether it's through Zoom, whether it's through Slack or something else, um, I think it's uh, really important it's on you. TaxJar automates sales tax for growing and mid-market SaaS businesses, so you can focus on expanding your services into new markets and grow your top-line revenue. Don't let sales tax be a pain in the SaaS. Visit taxjar.com forward slash saster to automate your sales tax compliance and protect your business from the burden of sales tax.